Camera speeds. A mark. Hey there, you're listening to the Focus Polars at Work podcast. On this episode, we chat with ASCDP Lawrence Schur and his longtime Focus Polar, Julie Donovan. They have done over 15 films together spanning more than 20 years. Please enjoy all the fun stories and adventures of these two lifelong friends. Well, welcome, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing pretty good. I'm a little tired, but that's just because I stayed up too late, as Julie knows. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, the typical the typical question that I want to ask you both, um, if you can give me like the Reader's Digest edition, is how you guys got started as individuals. Uh, I so I did the whole film school route and then moved to from Florida to L.A. Um, went to AFI for a year, realized I didn't want to be a cinematographer because I'd be competing with guys like Larry who were happy to not sleep because they love it so much. And I like sleep, so... Uh, so I just decided I was going to be a first AC. So I did not work much the first three, four, five years because who's going to hire somebody who has zero experience? Uh, and then slowly started doing $25 a day, $50 a day, $100 a day jobs and met Larry pretty early on in that. And we just kept going together, riding the wave. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I, I also didn't go to, I didn't go to film school, but I sort of came the route of got interested in film in college i was an economics major but i knew i wasn't going to go to wall street or do one of those things always had an interest in stuff creative my dad was a doctor but was really into photography as like a hobby and so i think that rubbed off of me and so halfway through school started taking some film classes and got really really bitten and then moved to la not really knowing anybody but sort of pounding my way into, you know, whatever little places I worked on, like a free music video, just running film back and forth from Vasquez Rocks for an Albie Shore video that Antoine Fuqua was directing. And just like hounded the, the, uh, the camera department to sort of see if I could come to prep and learn how to load a mag and just learn what it would be to be a camera assistant. And then out of the blue, they called me on like a Sunday night and they're like, we have a job tomorrow. We need a loader. And I like drove out to North Hollywood and learned how to load a BL4 mag that night. And then the next day I was loading them on a feature for like, you know, 20 day feature and like the worst first day ever as a focus puller ever, like ever in the history of focus pulling, like slept through call because I also was reading scripts for a living. Like I was at 50 bucks a script and I had like 10 scripts to do every week. And of course, every day, every week, I'd wait till Sunday to do 10 scripts and pull it an all nighter. So I had to still finish my scripts and I had like an hour. I'm like, I could probably sleep for an hour. Woke up to a phone call. This was pre-cell phone and all that. And they're like, where the hell are you? You're late. And so I was late to call first day. Got through the day okay, actually. Then got into the truck and... B camera operator came in and started smoking a joint and then handed it to me. I'm like, yeah, I finished this day. I could take a joint. There are no more mags to be done. And then Jeff Cotter, who was the first ACD, came running in. It's like, where the fuck is mags? We're two bags down. And I'm like now panicked trying to load mags, which I had just learned the night before. 
and I'm like, hi, and, and trying to load mags, not really knowing what I'm doing and panicked, not trying not to flash anything. And then I finally get through that day. I'm like, oh my God, that was terrible. And then I locked the camera truck. He's in the camera truck. Because <laughs> it was my responsibility to lock him up. It's incredible I had a day two and any days after that because it was the worst first day as a camera assistant ever. And then worked as a, as a camera assistant mostly on commercials, but a couple movies as like a second. That was actually the only job I ever loaded. That every job after that, I was a second until I started firsting on music videos badly. But you could be a bad focus puller of music videos because it was art back then. <laughs> and, uh, and then always try to hustle to shoot. And I think Julie and I met on a project that me and a friend of mine did coming out of college. We, we had made a small film. And then he was trying to raise money to do a bigger version of a, of a movie. So we shot a short a short film for this movie called A Better Way to Die. And then when we finally got the money, whatever it was, $2 million to finish the film, that's where Jules and I met. What was your first impression of, of Lawrence when you first met him? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this, this guy has so much energy and he's running around like a crazy person. And I think my job is to run around like a crazy person after him. Okay, let's do this. But I was half worried about the fact that I still didn't know what I was doing. I mean, we ended up, the movie we shot in Ohio, and I knew so little still about film then that I think like day two, I went, well, how do I know the frame lines on the two cameras match up? And I got film and literally was trying to figure out if the two pieces of film would match up with the frame lines because I just didn't understand what happened after we actually shot the film. <laughs> And I thought, oh, this is none of this is going to come out. I hope they don't find out until the job's over. <laughs> but it seemed to go okay. <laughs> that was incredible because what I remember from that job because we were doing you know crazy gun shooting up stuff oh and gosh, all this so stuff much. and yeah. fighting in like a mud pit underneath like a barn and all these things and With like fire falling on us. Yeah, it's just like stuff you would never do now because it'd be like like an absolute hazard of of all kinds of rules. We did have a fire truck out with us, though, for that one, which I remember. We burned a fire truck. We burned, a, a, like, a barn down. We did. In real time. Like, so it was like, get everything ready. And I mean, did we even have a B camera? We did. We it must have cousin. had a B camera. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, like, how do you burn a car? How do you burn, a, like, a, 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 like, a thing down without, like, having as many cameras as possible? Because you only get one chance at it. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember... Because it was like, for us, it was like a proper movie. We had like Andre yeah. Brower and Lou Diamond Phillips and... Um, Natasha, uh, Natasha Henstridge. Natasha, Natasha Henstridge, exactly. And I remembered because Scott Wiper, who was the director, was also the star of it. And so we were doing all kinds of weird stuff that just... You just would like figure out how to do it because you didn't have any money. And so on day like two or three... We're shooting on like this little road and he's supposed to be driving with Joey Pantaleone, who's also in the movie, and he just jumps out of the car. We didn't have any stunt people. So he had this actually brilliant plan. To this day, it's still a really good trick. It's almost like a Texas switch where we had the camera set up for a drive-by of a car and he just ran next to the car for like the last 20 feet 
and the car uh, door was open and he just leapt into the camera frame at the same time the car drove past and timed it like perfectly on the first take and then just like jumps down and rolls into a ditch on the side of the road. It was amazing. It was like the end of the day. It was like really worked beautifully through the lens. You're like, holy crap. This is like, looks like he just jumped out of a car. And then he broke his shoulder, like broke his, his clavicle and like his collarbone or whatever. That might be the same thing. And then he, uh, <laughs> is it the same thing? I think it is. And he, uh, he didn't tell anyone. He just goes, all right, that's a wrap. And he drove himself to the hospital and he had a broken shoulder and he was doing all these stunts the rest of the movie. And I remember there were like love scenes and we did lots of the film handheld with no marks and we would just like march around the room. And this is when I was like, and I had no idea Julie didn't know what she was doing because she was, <laughs> like knew what movie more than I knew. She at least knew what the frame lines were. And, uh, and we would do these incredible takes, like all handheld, no marks, and it was all 35 millimeter film. And it, the stuff was amazing. And it was always tack sharp. And that was, that was when I was like, well, this is the greatest focus puller I ever knew. But also once I started working with other focus pullers, I really knew, oh no, no, she's like a step above everyone because of that, like no marks, walk around the room, just go with it kind of thing that we would do all the time from like that tiny movie forward all the way to the end. That was always kind of my favorite focus pulling too. And I definitely honed that with you getting to do that handheld because you're, you're part of the action at that point. Like really have to understand what the actors are doing and the emotion of it and be, be in that moment with everybody to make it happen. Yeah. I remember like literally a, a scene in which it was like Natasha and Scott waking up in bed or something and us just like following around this tiny little room on the second floor of like a practical, you know, that we turned into like a bedroom, like, you know, whatever it was, like a hotel or something. Uh, and it was all kind of weird, intimate, like, you know, just like kind of catch as you can kind of stuff. But, uh, and just Julie sitting there with her hand on the focus wheel, just like following me around. And I'm like, you know, it's hard focus pulling now. This was pre-Preston. I mean, maybe, I don't, did they even existed? No, they didn't, that technology probably. We did not have a Preston. <laughs> no, we we didn't have a Preston, but did the technology even exist? I don't even know if it did back then. <laughs> yeah. I just know that like all you could do was you basically yeah, I don't just know either. held on for like dear life, you know, and like if a person moved, you're sort yeah. of holding on and sort of locking yourself i guess julie would know better but like putting yourself at six feet knowing a little bit forward is three and back is ten and and working like that because it's not like you can see the lens at all the time you know yeah nope yeah i have utter respect for the acs that have come before me that pulled that like you that pulled on film on camera and just had to do crazy action movie running gun situations. Cause I mean, I have the ability to look at a monitor and at least see my distance or, you know, there's, I feel like we're cheating nowadays. <laughs> but it, I, that's also such a skill. And maybe because I was, I don't want to say very good, but very good pulling on film and under being in that moment, I transitioned horribly to digital because the things that I think made me really good at as a focus puller on film I didn't have those tools going to digital. So having it be 2D that you're looking right in front of you and you're not in the moment with the actor, you're far away from them. I, I lost that. 
so I did not transition well to digital. <laughs> Other focus pullers have on film have trans transitioned nicely. I was not one of them. <laughs> Larry's laughing because he knows it's true. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I was like so happy. I was like, I was just like pulling up IMDb literally as a reminder to myself. I'm like, uh, I didn't even look at the things, but when I pulled up IMDb, and I was actually really happy in a weird way that like when you pull up Julie on IMDb, it just like mentions all her production manager stuff and her producer stuff. And it actually doesn't even mention like the hangover or any of the focus pulling stuff. So I was like, oh, that's that means the transition was complete out of right. this focus pulling gig. You know, when I was doing when I was doing my research, I definitely did think I had the wrong Julie at, when I just first initially looked because it did. You have been producing stuff and uh doing other things um but you do have an incredible incredible focus career um the movies you guys have worked on i mean you guys together have done over 15 movies together i wrote down a bunch of them um but yeah it's incredible what can you tell me a little bit about the acdp bond and what has made you guys do so many movies together all right larry you go first on this all right well (laughs) Everything for me, right? And this is the thing that I always, I always would tell people. They go, oh, "I want to work in movies. What department?" I go, "Camera." They're like, "No, but I'm not camera." It's like the movie. A movie is centered around the camera, right? Otherwise, it's like radio, or it's a play, or it's a, a novel. It's like inherent to movie making is this camera that's at the center point of all of it. And so, as a cinematographer. And sort of having three departments sort of under the umbrella of your sort of job, grip electric and camera. Camera to me was always the thing that was most comfortable to me as somebody who also liked to operate. It was the thing that brought me into the job. So for me, First AC is the most important person to me and always was and always will be in the sense of when I could bring one person on a job, it was always Julie. So, and, and that went from not only her being an incredible focus puller, but being incredibly organized and, and having to cover a lot of the things that allowed me to do my job better, which is to obviously things that are just, you know, org, org type things like handling all the, the, the cameras and, and the assistance underneath her, but also the the special equipment and all these things that are just part of the job and as you do bigger and bigger movies like i remember when we did dukes of hazard and and dukes of hazard was like for me the biggest movie i'd ever done it was like a 50 million dollar uh a 50 million dollar movie and i remember because of god forsaken i still don't understand these like these um uh, rules they're like you can't take an LA assistant it's in New Orleans it's in in Baton Rouge and you got to have somebody from post 60 I still don't understand it I remember calling the union being like they couldn't explain to me I'm like we're still getting Julie on this job it's like it doesn't matter it's like somehow some way she's gonna and even though like Jules was second the B camera on that in my mind she's still the A camera because it's always the person who's there you know, who's like going to be there to like handle all these things that are like really big and important. But also, and this is like probably paramount to all of those things was she was kind of like 
the horse whisperer to like the crew about me because I was a little bit crazy. I still am a little. So she not only was kind of, kind of like the rock on like the camera side, but she was sort of rock for me on the emotional side on every movie I was on, right? Like in deciding what movie I was going to do and talking to her about it first, knowing that she was kind of with me, whether it was a tiny movie, you know, um, like Kissing Jessica Stein or like really big movies that we did later in our career. It was a, it was like, it, you know, your crew had become such an important part of how you make, make the work. And not just because obviously you need people to execute it, but because of the support. And Julie, for me, was like, that was everything. It was having her be the person that I knew we could go anywhere in the world together and having her there was more important than all the technical stuff and all, all the focus pulling. And she did that job incredibly well. And that's why I think as a producer moving out of camera, it was a natural thing because her people skills are incredible, way better than mine. And so like that part of it was why as a team, it was like, I couldn't imagine doing it without her, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it is definitely a huge one. I mean, for me, Larry, uh, there was two parts to it for me with him. One, I just loved how passionate he was about everything he did. Um, like if we're going to spend all these hours at work, I don't want to be with somebody who's grumpy or bitter or, and, and so Larry just, if he's going to do something, it's 110% and you are with him or you're not with him. There's zero middle ground. And so he really challenged me to be the best that I could be at the job. And I loved that because he has a really good way of just giving you so much shit and forcing you to do a good job, but also be supportive at the same time. That's, I think, a really unique characteristic. And I think part of my being kind of the crew whisperer is the first job that people do with Larry they can't wrap their head around it. Like, who is this person? What is happening? I'm going to go someplace else where life is easy. And then if they make it through that first movie, by the second movie, they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's actually amazing. I want to keep working with him. But it's this shock. Um, and I didn't know enough to be shocked the first one. So I was just like, yeah, this is how it goes. I'm going to keep going on here. And, uh, you know, the the way he challenged me was just really, really great to be better that it was all doable and I was going to get to that and it was just going to, it was going to happen. Um, you know, and so even if that happened today, it would be an amazing thing, but to then put that into 1998, 1999, where there were basically no women focus pullers and having to deal with sexism from other people, Larry was never, the fact that I was a woman was just a complete non-issue. Uh, he wasn't easier on me. He wasn't harder on me. It was, I mean, the most non-issue of non-issues. And so that was the second thing that just made it really amazing to get to work with him um, and make me do a really good job and make me want to go that extra distance as well for him to kind of help the crew understand, hey, this is a really good dude. He might be driving you crazy right now, but once you get to know him, <laughs> he is an amazing human. And so stay with this. And so I think for both of us, we were really lucky to find each other because I think our strengths and weaknesses balanced out really nicely to make a good team uh, on both the personal fronts, dealing with everybody, and then as a DP first. 
combo. You're the uh, calm, you're the calm, cool, collective, organized, Not and always. he's the chaotic, crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, a little bit of that, but I think it's exactly that. We, we filled in uh, some things for each other and also had enough similarities that the go, 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 and the sort of like, this is important, this is like everyone focused thing was also like, if she was too zen and too sort of like, say la vie that wouldn't have worked either like yeah julie cared desperately and really understood like we're in crunch time let's go everybody's got to focus up and she could get the entire team underneath us to like get on board as well and that was super important too it wasn't uh it, it, she just was able to also help keep people from quitting on the first couple of weeks yeah <laughs> i I have no idea how many conversations I've had with people over the years convincing them to not quit. I mean, it's <laughs> countless, including Jeff Haley on The First Hangover. I believe that. You guys have now done how many movies together? Yeah, like a eight, bunch of them. Nine? Yeah, and, and oh, yeah. I'm he sure. was ready to walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure And I was like, that. no, don't go. Trust me. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and now you guys are super tight. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, just like, again, there's a little like feeling out period. It's interesting, though, because yeah. in terms of what was the sort of tangential and ancillary thing about having Julie as my first for all those years was, again, it never sort of factored in. The only time I would hear sometimes about some of the sexism and some of the sort of lack of opportunities for women focus pullers was through Julie because she'd say, yeah, I've met with this great DP and like I heard through the grapevine or even directly like I don't believe in women ACs. I don't, they can't carry the camera. They can't this and that. And to me, it never factored in simply because Julie was always with me. And the best part about it was it then brought me into a world of all these other women DP, women ACs because Julie had this entire network of people. So the idea of having assistants that were women was just a part of like that's just what it is and 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 it 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 was like the best sort of ancillary thing about having julie julie there the only sexism and even julie had to point this out to me was because whenever i'd start a job they'd be like i'd be like the only thing i need i just need julie to be with me no matter what it was so it was like this is my one thing in my contract like she has to come with me and then they'd see her and she's beautiful and they'd go, oh, they, they must be sleeping with each other. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But Julie would tell me this later because like she would hear about that. And that was the only kind of like overt sort of thing that at least I was sort of privy to was this like weirdness that like, oh, he's got a beautiful woman who's his AC. There must be something more there. Because yeah, I couldn't was like, possibly be that she's good at her job. There must be some other reason. <laughs> That's right. She couldn't possibly be because she's essential to me doing my job. That like I needed her so much that it became like a talking point and a contract point whenever I would start a job. Um, but yeah, I mean, trust Julie knows because all the handheld work. When I was done with a take, I would just sort of do this, and just she'd be like there to basically catch a seventy-pound camera, and I'd be like, "Let's go!" Like, yeah. I never for a second was like, "Oh yeah, it's like Julie's yeah. whatever, small or whatever." It didn't matter. It was like, "No, yeah. you're, you're you're getting this seventy-pound camera, so I can yeah. walk away." And there wouldn't even be a, "Hey, we're gonna go run up that hill and get a shot up there." He would just take off running, and I'm like, "Oh, I guess we're going." Okay, <laughs> grab all the things. <laughs> 
a huge part of, and you've all have already kind of touched on this, a huge part of ACing is so much more than just focus pulling. It's being a leader to the team. I mean, you are the backbone underneath the DP being able to, to manage the department and, and make sure that all runs smoothly. Uh, Julie, what's kind of some of the like, I don't and, and like mental headspace you get into when going into a new movie and prepping your team and getting everybody ready um, for the next feature? It definitely changed throughout the years as I learned what we needed on a team. I became a little less focused on people's resumes and more on making sure that we had people who were going to have a good attitude and wanted to work hard um, and were good at their job. And so it didn't matter what what they had done prior, if they had, I think, the right attitude that I felt was going to fit with how Larry likes to run things. That was what was most important. Because if you had guys who they can't deal with chaos and they can't deal with last second changes, that is not going to work. <laughs> so really having a good attitude. And um, I definitely feel very fortunate over the years to have found some really amazing people that we got to do more than one movie with. Or maybe Larry didn't get to. He worked with them elsewhere. Jeff Haley, Jerry Patton, like just so many people. Faith Brewer that he worked with and he actually introduced me to faith she's amazing um so just these really positive people and then i think once you have the team put together leading it isn't hard because you have the right combination of personalities and good attitudes you know we we did multiple movies where we went into a city and like larry said i was the only person that he brought or was able to bring and that was always interesting because you don't know what you're getting into and now you're working with a group of people who they've all worked together before they probably know they're never going to work with us again. So that was the more, usually the more challenging situations. Um, some of them worked out great, but I'm sure all those guys thought I was a crazy micromanager because I didn't let go of a lot of things. And I was very particular how we did things, but I looked at it as Larry gets to bring one person and that's me. And he's bringing me to do these things. So I'm not going to delegate them. I'm going to make sure that things run the way that Larry and I want to run. And hopefully these guys are going to be on board with that system. Didn't always work that way, but we tried. <laughs> no, we did great. We did great with that. That's for sure. No. And that of course is the, like that, what I talked about, you know, that sort of having somebody who can really be supportive and, and there with you. And it's the same as any relationship, right? It's like having somebody that, just helps you in those times of feeling a bit alone, particularly when you're like traveling to a brand new city with a bunch of new crew that you've never worked with before. Having that one person, this sort of makes all the difference. It really does. I like to call it, because uh, I, I, well, I happen to be married to, uh, my husband's a DP, so we work on a lot of projects together, but I often refer to myself as the emotional support animal uh, to him <laughs> as the DP. Um, just because, you know, it, it is a huge comfort when we can go on to a project together and he knows I absolutely have his back 100%. Um, so it's a huge, it's a very important to have, you know, a bit of a bond with, with a DP. It doesn't have to be married to them in, in my situation. That just happens to be a convenient factor. Yeah, exactly. No, we never got married. I mean, <laughs> no. we, oh, we, I, it, it, lasted, it lasted longer than my marriage, but yeah. Yeah, and same with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. Uh, Larry, question for you. Um, it, it 
when you look at people you could choose to have in your contract to take with you from movie to movie to movie to pick an AC, why would you, why did you pick an AC over like a gaffer or someone who could be consistent in your lighting aspect versus having someone consistent in your, in your camera side? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I mean, focus pulling, because I also operate, the two jobs that kind of have to work every single take, besides the actors and the sound person, is the focus puller and the operator, right? And the operator sometimes can have just a no-brainer lock-off and a shot that's quite easy and very repeatable and all these things. But the focus puller is is like it's it's the hardest job on set that nobody knows is about like your average person going to see a movie would assume it's done like literally mechanically they would think it's like auto focus like the idea that there's somebody actually pulling focus is a novel idea to most people going to see movies so the only time you're noticed is when it's wrong and when it's wrong it's it's a problem it's not like just like oh it's like it actually affects like, do you have to do another take? Do you have to reshoot stuff? It's like, it's an incredibly difficult job and it can be an incredibly stressful job. And so when you find somebody that's really good at it, right, the technical side of it, besides all the other things that Julie's amazing at, it's it's like worth gold because, because you don't know. You can, like, we've gone to other cities and we've gotten resumes that are killer. Like every, like you go, this is better than my resume. This person should be shooting this movie. They know more than I do. And then you get them and they're like, not that good. You're like, Wait, okay. And then you start to realize like there are very few people that are excellent at the job. And so, you know, I could suffer through because again, if, if need be, I can sort of talk people through all the lighting needs I need, but I can't talk you through the focus in real time. It's a real time it's like having an actor, right? It's like why directors work with actors, the same actors over and over again, because it's dependable, right? They know what this actor is bringing. They're going to bring not just what they expect, they're going to bring something more. And so that's the way I look at, at Focus Puller. It's like, it's, it's, it's such a hard job that, and it has to be somebody who, who's actively working on every shot, that to me, if I am going to bring one person, that's usually the one that's like the most critical. Um, and then, you know, maybe after that gaffer and, you know, operator, key grip, maybe in that order. No offense to key grips at all. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know just like, is, is does the job seem difficult to you? I mean, I was not a very good focus puller. My stress was actually probably more about technical things when I was focus pulling because I wasn't doing it on like things that mattered like movies in which there were like real performance based things. Um, but did it feel like a difficult job to you, Julia? Or did it come like or, or day or is it day by day, shot by shot kind of stuff? Yeah, a little more day by day, shot by shot. But I mean, it did feel also very natural when we were doing handheld stuff and steady cam. I would get more nervous if it's, you know, long lens tracking where it's it's repeatable versus in the moment handheld or steady cam where you're just able to kind of zen it and, and be part of it. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Like uh, sometimes a quick or like a, a pronounced straight dolly move, 
you know, where it's like setting marks or somebody calling out marks on like a big running shot. Those were like times that are trickier than like when we would just jump in a car, or jump like wherever we were and go, let's just do some handheld stuff. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that way. Yeah. And those were the in a weird way. It's why probably I ended up shooting so much handheld mm -hmm. because one, it allowed me to move really quickly. But two, I it's like in a weird way, you you sometimes can decide things subconsciously based on the technical things. Like if you suddenly go, this person's not a very good focus puller for handheld, you'll intuitively stop shooting handheld on the movie. You'll like convince yourself it's not a handheld movie. But we would like introduce handheld into like comedies like The Hangovers and Due Date and things like that, Paul, because I knew it didn't matter. It was like, yeah, let's shoot it handheld. I never had to for a second go, you know, handheld might be causing a risk to the dailies and a risk for something that suddenly we could have technical problems and even going to a movie like joker in which by then julie was retired even the choice of shooting digital was somewhat technical because it was like oh we could have takes in which maybe focus even with the an incredible focus puller like greg Irwin, who worked for 35 years in film and has worked for another 15 in digital even with that incredible skill, I still knew that like, oh, at least in the digital world, there would be nothing that would ever be soft longer than a beat, right? Because you can see it in real time. But that idea that like, you'd have a little bit of that anxiety back in the film days, and even to this day, like I shot a film, I hadn't done a film movie in like four years. And then I decided to do one and I took Julie out of retirement. I'm like, Jules, do you wanna just take two months and go do a movie with me? Cause it was on film and she did and it was awesome. And she was great. Yeah, she did a much better job than I did. <laughs> Not true. But it was, he did take me out of retirement. I hadn't firsted in a couple of years at that point. And if it was digital, there was no scenario where I would do it, which is why I hadn't done anything since then. But I was like, okay, film, Melissa McCarthy, Ted Melfi. Yes, this sounds delightful. Let's do it. And it was. It was like riding a bicycle, for sure. I remember, he was so nervous on any Technocrane stuff because he couldn't see what was happening. And he'd look at me and be like, do, do we have it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think we got it. And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm pretty sure we got it. <laughs> I hope we've got it. We'll find out tomorrow. And I'm also doing things that, because now once you switch into digital, you do things that you wouldn't necessarily do in film, except if you had to, right? So you suddenly are like, and you see this in digital photography all the time now, shooting wide open and all these things. And I was like, yeah, Jules, like, I feel like maybe I want to shoot this movie at a one four and whatever. And she's like, okay. And it's like, even on film and you realize, well, one, you don't really have to do that on film. You sort of learn that as you, as you get back into it, but that just makes the not seeing it and all that stuff, even more anxiety provoking, but cause you go, well, not only are we going to shoot film, but we're going to try to shoot it in that sort of two, one, four, two range, you know? Um, just to give it a little bit of a look so that that but but she did amazing and I forgot how to shoot film and I was like lost <laughs> well I would love to hear if because I, I you know I've never shot film I I'm a digital baby came up in the digital age I I walk because you crawled through the all the hard stuff of of everything you had to go through um, not just you know being a focus puller, but being a female focus puller. And I, I thoroughly thank you for, for coming before me. And I appreciate that. But um, I would love to hear any like funny trench in the trench stories that uh, pop into your mind from 
I mean, gosh, you guys have done so many projects together. Is there any, do you have like an instant one that you're like, oh, this is the story. If I have to tell a, you know, a Julie story or a Larry story, this is the one that I think of. That's the, I should have been, I, I mean, we have hundreds of those kind of stories. Yeah. Kind of, the way, here's like my favorite moments with Julie probably because this is when it just collapses the whole filmmaking process when I said everything is like around, revolves around a camera is it all collapses into its essence is Sam man in the trunk and <laughs> director and me and Julie in the backseat of a car shooting. And we, we did that for years, like whether it was Dukes of Hazard stuff or whether it was like, um, you know, whether it was due date or or hangover stuff it's like in every movie big year those kind of things in every movie invariably we'd end up in that which is like basically all snugged in in the back of a car hand on the shoulder and like you know julie on the on the focus wheel and, and the director next to us and we're like that's that's like to me this like if i could t encapsulate a picture that sort of like it, you know shows the sort of joy of filmmaking it's that for me uh it's like it's just like that's it you're making a movie with four people basically yeah yeah and that is maybe one of my favorite stories that answers that question was handheld in the car on dukes and we had the pod car so the stunt guy's actually on the roof which was all new for us because we'd been doing low budget movies to that point so this was like such a big deal holy cow we have stunt people and somebody else is driving the car and so larry and i are handheld in the back seat and Sean William Scott's supposed to be driving through a barn. And, you know, director, first AD, everybody's far away from us, so they can't hear us. And they just called action before I was ready. And so the car starts driving, and, and I was like, I'm not ready. And Larry's like, just do it. And I'm like, no, I'm not ready. And so he and I are arguing, and Sean is like pretending to drive and just turns around and looks at the camera, and it's like a tennis match going back and forth. And we drive through the barn. And never, like, Larry and I just argued the whole take. <laughs> and so we got called back to Video Village, and they played it back. And Sean's just like this, <laughs> with this look on his face, like, what, what people are in the car? This is hilarious. <laughs> and the director, when it was all said and done, looks at Larry and goes, you know, she was right. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> But he's like, just try it, just try it. And I was like, no, I'm not trying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and we had to wear helmets. It was like it was. Yeah. A, we were in the General Lee that like you know car for Dukes, and it was it was like we would be bouncing around and all these things, and it yeah, was. Yeah, we were in a was, field. Yeah, your head would be like <laughs> smacking against the roof of the car, and then the roll cage and all this stuff. Yeah, it was. Those were. Uh, I still have some fun pictures of those days. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of like another like. You know, for me, it's like the it's it's when we would travel. You know, like when we went to do Hangover Two, in in Bangkok, those were really special times. You know, because they were also, you know, far away with like a big crew of 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 people from another country and and yeah. just trying to figure it out and on boats and you know and on little planes and teaching the camera crew how to use Panavision cameras because they'd never seen one. <laughs> We had Panavision class in Thailand. That was like the first Alexa. We were one of the first movies to have an Alexa mm -hmm. on, a, on a movie. We tried that out and just like trying to figure out what this new camera is. It was like the first time we had even thought about shooting something digitally. And that was sort of, whoa, what's this? And 
and trying to figure out like a 360 rig inside the car for Dukes and trying to rig those kind of things. Um, there were like a ton of those kind of moments where, you know, because we came up together from like tiny, you know, nothing burger movies that had no budget to like, you know, hundred million dollar movies, we were really figuring it out for the first time together. So a lot of it was us just going, what do we do? Like we didn't have other people that sort of told us how to do it. We just sort of figured it out on our own. You know, that's one of the things that I love about this industry is because the amount of, you know, you never sit down at a bar with another another filmmaker and say, let me tell you about this shoot that went entirely perfect and everything was totally fine. It's always, oh my gosh, this one, the camera exploded and everything went upside down. And, you know, I, 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 I've been in this industry for a long time because my dad is a, is a cinematographer, he's a DP, and the transition to film from film to digital, you know, is always obviously not just a huge learning curve, but a technology curve. We had the Airy D20 on it, on this movie. It was hot. It was, it, it was dusty. And we kept killing. I, I mean, I'm like 13 on this. I'm just a PA, but my dad kept killing the camera. He overheated it and it just totally fried. So they had to ship another one in. It got dead pixels because of the heat and the dust. And so we had to ship another one in. And I think out of the like six D20s in the, in the world, we had four of them by the end of it because we just kept killing them. And then the Airy D21 came out the next year with all the like fixes of everything. But it, it's always just so, you know, anytime there's a new piece of technology and like, or bringing it into a country, like you said, and having to like teach people because they hadn't seen that tech yet. It's always such an interesting learning curve, no matter where you go. Yeah, well, yeah, we yes. we did. We brought that 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 Alexa on Hangover 2. The next movie we did after that was this movie called The Dictator. And Julian and I both bought Alexas because we're like, well, maybe there's a future here. And like brought that onto that camera. And that was like the first one of the first Airy Raw movies. So again, you're going, what is this? What does even Airy Raw mean compared to the SYS, you know, 1080, you know, P that we were shooting on Hangover 2 in the first generation of the Alexa? Um, and trying to figure all that stuff out and then taking it to, you know, to like the Canary Islands at the end of that movie mm -hmm. and, you mm -hmm. know, all those sort of things in which you're like, you know, flying in a in a you know your own chartered plane with all the equipment underneath with the whole crew just to go to a new place in spain and canary islands and stuff like that those were like the exciting moments when it felt like oh this is uh like what a what a, a journey we've been on from like that barn in ohio you know fighting in the yeah. mud yeah but it always does come down to the essential things i mean i don't even was it hangover three i don't remember but you me and todd carrying camera bodies on the plane so that we knew we had our camera bodies and that they were in good shape. Like <laughs> if, if shit went down, we still had a, like we had a, a camera body we could go with exactly. And traveling yeah. with it on the front seat of like, you know, like a baby in the car. Yeah. You yeah. Travel from location to location. Yeah. yeah. Doing stuff with things that are now commonplace, but you know, the beginning of the days of, of what would be, you know, edge cars and, and Russian arms and those kind of things like early days, you know, from like many versions of that with like remote drive vehicles and cut up cars from Dukes of Hazard to like these now technologies that we take for granted, but being kind of right at the beginning of those and, 
you know, and being in those cars, because also was the essence of it in a much more technological way, was sitting in the back of an edge car. And again, now we're just still the same. It's like a couple more people because there's a crane op and a, you know, and, and like a driver and those kind of things. But effectively, it's still that same. It's like a, a bigger budget version of us all snuggled into a car making a movie. Like when we went and did this movie, which was still one of my like most favorite experiences. And again, the only person I was able to bring was Julie, was we went to Vancouver and did this movie called The Big Year, which was like, you know, we had to travel all across BC and kind of mimic 50 states in the, in the country. And we went up to the Yukon and shot like, you know, when there was summer solstice and it was like 24 hours of daylight. Which was Larry's dream come true and my nightmare come true because there was no end to the filming. <laughs> I stayed up all night trying to figure out what happens when like one day turns into the other and it did nothing. Fun. I thought something magical was going to happen. I was going <laughs> to see God. And instead it just like, <laughs> just kept going. And I was like, oh, that was a little uninspiring. Uh, but, but we actually like brought an edge car and just shot basically all the scenes from that. Like it was like a mobile camera platform in which we would shoot dolly shots and all these things. And uh, yeah, and that movie, even though I remember we had like a legendary fight of ours. We didn't have a ton of them, but we had one in a parking lot in like a gas station. It was like a nothing burger thing. And it was like one of those things where like, again, the same way as if you're in a marriage or any relationship, uh, you know, like in the same way as Julie described, you know, in the back of the Duke's car, uh, even though we had some of those moments that still let that movie and those memories were, were amazing. And having Julie there made, was like, the, you know the thing that made the whole the whole experience really great it is a, a very long-term relationship for sure i always tell people larry's basically like my brother i don't have a brother but larry's my brother i can tell him i hate him and i love him in the same sentence and both things can be true <laughs> that's right and you can fight and, and argue and then the next day you're still you're still love each other yeah and, and, yeah and and respect and admire and you want to just give each other a hug so that in yeah. that it is a family it's family you know i didn't work on those fast and the furious movies but it's like family <laughs> julie did she knows i did <laughs> struggled through one on digital it's definitely when i realized yeah i, I have not transitioned well to digital <laughs> Larry, did you have something you wanted to say? No, 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 Meg. You might be saying the same thing in terms of just, I was talking about that transition out of assisting because it's also a very physical job. Um, yeah. And like, it's not something that most people can do, you know, for 40, 50 years. It's a, it's a tough one. I know we're getting close to our, our, our time. So I have just a few, few finalizing questions. Um, one question I do want to ask, just because it's a very hot topic right now. Julie, I saw on your IMDb you worked on two episodes of Stranger Things, which is not the first time you worked with Millie Bobby Brown. So how was your experience working on Stranger Things? It was actually great. Uh, and this is a perfect question because I have such a great story that I feel like kind of wraps up my whole career. Um, I, I mean, I loved working on Stranger Things. It was the DPs were fantastic. Um, and we had... Uh, Sean Levy directed um, and the Duffer brothers were directing. So I got to do some really great episodes with them. And that was, aside from going out of retirement with Larry, that was kind of the end of my camera career because I needed to get three years after attaining the age of 40. So I had agreed to do Stranger Things up till Christmas 
And then another focus puller took over after Christmas. So she and I had that worked out and we agreed who our second was, who was phenomenal. She was amazing. Um, but Larry and I very early on in our career, uh, were doing a little pilot. And I think on day three or day four, <laughs> Sean Levy was supposed to direct Pink Panther. I may be misremembering all this, but the movie got pushed. So he came to set and kind of started, you know, being there on set a lot as a producer. And I don't remember what he, he got mad over some lamp that Larry wanted to have on. There was some issue over that. Long cut to the chase. We all got fired on the weekends. So <laughs> I think really the, only, really the only time I think either one of us has gotten fired. No, and I officially. remember because Julie, like, you know, anytime you get fired, it's a real, like, kick in the gut. And I remember because it was an eight-day pilot or something like that. Yeah. Seven-day pilot, maybe. It wasn't that long. <laughs> And on Friday, because I remember, like, I was operating, and I was also, like, it was just, like, a bad match. Sean Levy's like, where's the backlight? I'm like, I'm not really the guy who just brings in backlight for no reason. And he's like, so I realized early, about day three or four, that, like, he was a bit frustrated. And then I remember being, like, operating something, and in the back, I hear by the monitor, somebody go, Jesus Christ! And I'm like, oh, God, this is not going well. And I remember being even to Julie, like, what's happening here? And then I'm like, have you heard anything? And we both were like going, this is not going well. This is like bad, bad news and whatever. And yeah, it was a Sean Levy thing. And so wait, carry on. But yes, we both, we got fired. I remember because yeah. I drove back to crew parking with the director and the AD and I go, maybe this isn't the best fit. And there was just silence from both of them in the car. And I went, and then it was like an hour later, Baldwin's <laughs> like, you're out of here. Ugh. It was awful. But so forever, Sean Levy's name was like, this is who fired us. Like, this person squished us. It was, we got fired. This is so mortifying, embarrassing, all the things. And then go to Stranger Things. And I didn't really realize he was associated with the series. And then after I started, you know, and this is like 17, 18 years later, a long time later, that he's coming in to direct an episode. And so I'm a little anxious because there's like this holdover from getting fired by him knowing that he's never in a million years gonna put two and two together i didn't say a word and probably day four of his episode he comes up with what i thought was an impossible shot for me to pull focus on like millie bobby brown is running into a gym and we are sprinting on a dolly and just crushing into this close-up on her and i'm just thinking this is the day i get fired again i'm gonna get fired again i can't do this shot somehow by the grace of whatever powers are out there I nailed it on the first take and then I think we did two more takes and that was that and I was like I don't understand how I just did that shot but that was a miracle and it just happened and from then on he was very complimentary to me and when he found out I was leaving the show because I wasn't coming that was the last episode for the year he came up to me and asked if I would consider staying if there was any reason I would stay because he thought I was really good and that just felt like a really nice end cap on the career. And I never even told him the, <laughs> the story, but I was just like, oh, I went from getting fired by him to him asking me to stay because he thinks I'm good at my job. How exciting. <laughs> I like that story. Yeah, it was nice. He's it called about did. four times to hire me too, Jules. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Exactly. I'm always like, I'm not available. Yeah. But he's a great guy. I, was, I actually know him and he's like a really sweet guy. And really yeah. Cool filmmaker. I but really yeah, enjoyed it's his like, episode. It's hard. It's a hard yeah. deal. Yeah, I don't remember. It leaves that that taste of like, oh yeah, he's the one. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had a little anxiety, and then the shot. I was like, oh, it's gonna happen again. <laughs>
I remember that that shot in the series, and it is yeah. I pulling for that had to be you. Did, you weren't breathing when you pulled that, probably. No, no. <laughs> no, I know, and it's funny because my relationship with Stranger Things is so. Then I finally got a chance to direct something, and I brought Julie on to to uh, help produce it with me. And that was awesome because I'm like, great. Now I've still got Julie with me, uh, but in a, in, in a different capacity and when in which she can, you know, be all the things that she was to me as an AC, but even more. Um, and I remember seeing Tim Ives and and I had it was like I was deciding whether he was going to shoot the movie or another person. And I saw him in the lab and he's like, yeah, I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry. Like it was a real hard decision. And he's like no worries i'm starting this show called stranger things here in atlanta and he had started that and then that show went crazy and my movie made nothing <laughs> i feel like it was sliding doors and tim ives got the better bargain of the deal he got stranger things which turned into a huge show so yeah you never know you never know what your project what project you're going to jump on is going to how it, how it ever will be perceived by the public no, you certainly don't. It's like a lot of luck and a lot of just right place, right time, stuff you can't plan on for sure. Yeah. Yep. And just the difference in a script to what actually happens when you're filming it. When Larry took Hangover, I went, oh, do we have to really do this bro comedy? This just sounds dumb. But then once we started shooting, I found myself laughing. laughing. <laughs> Wait a second. If I'm laughing at this, this might be more than just a general bro comedy. <laughs> And it, it did incredibly well. I mean, the you had all the sequel or the yeah the one two three after that and everything. And honestly, I can't imagine trying to pull focus on a on a comedy because I would imagine you just you know you're trying to pull focus and you're laughing the whole time. I did bust up one or two takes laughing out loud over the course of days with Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> uh, I've got you know pretty much two questions to kind of finish this off, but one. I, I So I've mostly pulled focus for music videos and commercials. That's been my bread and butter. But I actually, in just a week and a half, I'm starting my first feature as a first. Uh, any uh, any advice on jumping into that? Ooh. Uh, I think for me, the biggest difference is just the emotion of the scene. It's just such a different thing. You're going to have uh, more quiet times, I think, and just figuring out what what that emotion is so that when the actors do something that you're not expecting in a way you are expecting it because you're with them emotionally in the scene. Um, it's, it's just really important, I think, to, to understand what they're going through so that you're not caught off guard when they're jump up or do something that you don't see coming. A hundred percent. And I think, I think it's like, in a weird way, it's like a different kind of focus. In the same way as an operator is sort of watching the body language of the actor to see when they're going to sort of make a little move or stand up or do something. I think it's the same thing for focus pulling on a feature because you really want to be solely connected and present and be part of the scene in the same way as they are. So I think in the sense of, you know, commercial, you can go 20 takes of the same thing and it's like it becomes a little bit technical and it can become just a little bit, you know, like where you can disconnect a little and it doesn't make a difference. Same thing with a music video. I think on a movie, it's like you now are part of that scene. 
And I think that's the main way I would look at it. That's a little different. Well, I'm really, yeah, it'll be, a, I'm interested to see how it goes. Cause you know, I've got a whole team under me and the whole nine yards. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked, but also got those little butterflies getting ready for it and everything. I still get those. I still get those every single Sunday night, every <laughs> single week of shooting every Sunday night. I still get the same feeling of like the Mondays coming, you know? Uh, I always like, it's like it never stopped for 30 years, that same feeling. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's the first day of shooting or the, the last week of shooting. It's always the same. Yeah. By Wednesday, I feel good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cycle of life. I feel like, I don't know if y'all have the same same situation, but I feel like as a as a in camera department specifically a camera assistant my anxiety is always constantly constantly thinking of everything that can go wrong constantly trying to problem solve for the non-existent problems that could happen and i'm like i have to be shortening my life with the amount of constant constant anxiety i'm feeling all the time well i think you're probably doing both you're shortening it and all that brain power is keeping you young too so i feel like it does it works both ways because to me yeah you know, it, I remember early on when I first started assisting, I was like, oh, my job is to do the slate and keep some camera reports and bring mags and camera lenses to the AC, the first AC. And then I would just sort of shut off and go flirt with like the makeup artist to try to get laid. And I didn't, it took me like a movie or two to realize, wait, you're doing this all wrong, man. Like every single moment on set, you should be thinking like, oh, maybe I could organize the carts. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do this. It was like, it was a how can I fill the day with the multitude of ways to like make sure there was never downtime. And those made the days go a lot faster. And so that I, the fact that you're constantly thinking, it's like this was what Julie was really good at and we would constantly be doing this is like, this is the plan, but let's think of literally, let's actually think of all the things that could go wrong and then try to get ahead of it right now. Because that is like, I always show up on set and I, I, I sort of present like I'm already two hours behind in the day. Like He's we not already kidding, are behind. Which is why like, you don't get a good morning. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like, we got to go. And it's like 10 minutes before a call. I'm like, we're behind already. And it's like, it's simply because that same anxiety that you talked about is also present in me, which is, let's go. Let's let's go. We got we got a day to go. And, and here are all the things that we're going to try to accomplish. And then, oh my God, these are all the things that could go wrong. So let's try to just like troubleshoot them in our minds before they happen. Larry always carried that energy from the moment he set foot on set until he fell asleep, which sometimes was on set, but most of the time, hopefully when he went home. So I would always tell our camera crews that hadn't worked with him before. I said, if you don't want to work during your lunch break, don't let Larry see you like literally hide during lunch. If you don't want to work. <laughs> and I remember at one point on Paul, one of our seconds was out there throwing a football or something in the middle of set with somebody and Larry showed up and next thing I know he's running around having to work and he comes running over to me when lunch is over and he's like he just made me do this and I said well, where were you and he said well I was out throwing a football I said what I tell you this is this is your fault I told you I warned you don't let him see you he saw you and therefore you worked during lunch <laughs> I'm like I'm not telling you you have to work during lunch just go stay you know out of my sight because yeah. if you're in my sight I'm working yeah. <laughs> Larry doesn't he doesn't look at a clock if it's all it's all work time <laughs> if there's nobody there he can't work yeah, that's exactly right sometimes I try yeah the camera, and then Julie gives me a look like come on yeah 
don't touch my stuff. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, the amount of meal penalties these poor seconds probably had to take because you would make them work through lunch. Well, we were we we started that trend. We weren't at the beginning of that trend, but we we enjoyed the trend of uh, of uh, carry on, carry on and work. Yeah, Laura yeah. doesn't believe in eating or resting. <laughs> <laughs> well, a great wrap up question is always just you know what advice would you give to the next you know fine you know the upcoming people who want to be a second people who are looking to jump into first just any people pretty much wanting to jump into camera department um what advice do you have or like a life lesson that you learned that sticks with you i feel like the earliest life lesson i got doesn't necessarily apply to today which is delightful but i had uh heather page was a focus puller that was about 10 years ahead of me and did some amazing movies. And the advice she gave me when I was starting out was don't try to be one of the boys because you aren't and you never will be. Uh, and that was very freeing for me to hear her say that, realize she had managed to do some big movies uh, and to not try to be one of the boys. But, uh, you know, that doesn't really apply to, to Jay, which is freaking delightful. I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, a today lesson, I for me, I always try to, and this continues through locations and working in production, I want to hire people who are problem solvers. If you are a person who likes to complain and not try to fix things, we are not going to be a good fit. So it doesn't matter to me really what people know because those are skills they can learn, but I think having the characteristic of being a problem solver isn't necessarily something you can teach. It's kind of an inherent thing. And so the people who want to jump up and solve problems, whether it's out of their wheelhouse, you know, people are like, that's not my job. I don't want to do that. We're probably not a good fit. I'd rather you jump in and try to fix a problem and overstep your bounds versus just wait for somebody to tell you what to do or to just sit and complain. That drives me crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> so I love problem solvers. Be a problem solver. Yeah. And along that same line, it's your project too, right? Yep. Like care about it, treat it like as if you are the director, as if you're the producer, as if you're another person who cares deeply about this movie or this project or whatever show, your commercial music video, it doesn't really matter. Treat each day like you're a part, it's really the same thing that Julie said, mm -hmm. you're part of solving whatever problems come up those days and because that's what the producer has to deal with. That's what the director has to do with. They can't push it off to somebody else. And so if you're part of that solution, you're going to be invaluable to every job you're on. And people will notice. Mm -hmm. People always notice. Whether you're a PA, whatever department you're in, people will notice. And attitude beats skill every day of the week. And, and, uh, and like Julie said, problem solving is the job. And so the more that you care about the project and or care about trying to find the solutions, you're, you're, you're going to find a really long career and be really successful for sure. Yeah. That was actually something I learned from, I did a couple commercials with Janusz Kaminski before I think we both realized we were not a good fit. So a couple commercials was enough, but I was amazed that he, anything the director asked for, anything that was asked of him, his immediate answer was yes. It was always a yes, 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 yes. And that really struck me because I thought he's, he's really trying to make happen whatever it is that needs to happen 
for this project, for this commercial, for whatever it is. And then if you find out it can't happen, then he would explain, well, what if we do this instead? But he was always basically trying to solve the problems. And yes, let's do this. Yes, yes, yes. It was a really positive attitude and very nice to see. It's like Todd Phillips, who Julie and I have worked with a bunch. Uh, he always says, like, filmmaking is jazz. It's not science. It's not math. It's jazz. And uh, and you could also look at it as like it's like improv. And the number one rule in improv is yes and right. You never say mm -hmm. no because no stops everything in its tracks. So if you say yes, then the, the improv, the jazz continues. And so it's like, yes, and, and, then, and then you figure it out. It may still, like you say, find a thing where you're like, oh, this is, this is tough. We don't have that piece of equipment. Okay, but what can we do? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, do a little bit of a yes and improv in your filmmaking. I love that. That fits better than my baking analogy that I've always thought of filmmaking. You can put all the ingredients together. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but jazz is a better <laughs> yes and <laughs> an improv, yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely think personality and having a good attitude can sometimes get you further than what you know. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of times people will, would like you said, you want to hire people who you know are going to have good attitudes, who are going to work hard, and who are going to, and it's, if you're willing to learn, that can be almost more invaluable than I have all this knowledge, but I'm a total turd to work with. Yes. <laughs> That is a definite yes. <laughs> yes, and. Yes. Yes, and you're not fun to work with. Okay. <laughs> well, I would love for you guys to promote. What do you guys have coming up? Is there anywhere we can see uh, some new work of your guys is coming out? What would be, where can we find you guys? Are you on social media? What's a place that people can, can track you down or watch your next upcoming project? Promote yourselves. <laughs> I don't really have the need for social media. Larry does for sure. Um, currently right now, they just finished uh, airing on Showtime, the first lady. So I was production supervisor for most of the, like the second half of that. I took over that one midstream, which was a very interesting thing. I've never jumped in as a supervisor midstream, which was really fun. Cause I just went to set the first couple days and didn't introduce myself to anybody. And I just kind of stood off to the side and watched people because I got to really see who people were that like the people that I saw just pick up a piece of, you know, trash and throw it in a trash can. It's like, okay, note, you are a problem solver. You're a yes person. You're a, you know, thank you. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the first lady just finished and I was, whoo, that was a tough, tough shoot. Cause we basically shot it like three features back to back to back, uh, spanning 120 years and three different characters and, I learned so much on that and very, very happy that I was a part of it. Almost didn't make it through some days because it was so tough, but <laughs> very proud of that one. So. And uh, I have Black Adam, which is a DC comic book movie with Dwayne Johnson that comes out in October that I'm starting to color time now. Always working on Shot Deck Like Mad, which is a website that I started. Uh, it's like an image database for research and reference and inspiration. And uh, I'm prepping this new Joker film that we're going to start in November. So, yeah. Very awesome. You guys do incredible work. And I always look forward to the next, um, just next projects and everything. And Shot Deck, my husband uses Shot Deck all the time. So that's a great 
resource for for all filmmakers honestly so i think that's great that you have that and um everything well thank you guys so much for for taking your time out of your day to talk to me and and talk to the listeners and everyone and all the acs and every it's it's fun that we have this community um that can can get amazing resources from people like you so thank you so much thanks for having the show yeah thank you Thanks so much for listening to the Focus Pullers at Work podcast. Make sure to check out our other great episodes and visit our website at focuspullersatwork.com to find other great camera assistant resources and community. Thanks.